Good evening. Hello. How's everyone doing? Not too good, huh? <laughs> Continuing in our series, I titled tonight's sermon, Is Life All Pleasure and No Pain? And that's what confuses so many of us. We think that when we suffer, and I know all of you, just like I am, am familiar with suffering. We're familiar with pain, but that's when our close friends go, well, if you, I thought you were a Christian. Why are you suffering? Or Satan gets on us for suffering. You must have done something wrong. And we're also under the impression, especially the, the new Christians, that once I get saved, everything's brand new. I don't have any more problems. How many know that's not true? <laughs> Your problems increase. But we need to understand suffering and pain. And I know people that were personally praying, and I'm praying for you tonight that whatever and wherever in your heart or your body you're experiencing challenges or pain, like the song was sung, ask God for his Holy Spirit. Ask him for his grace. Ask him for that grace. Um, I'm going to teach you something tonight that I want you to be familiar with so that I can abolish the lies of the devil and the lies of these people who tell us that suffering shouldn't be part of our life. Let's look, please, for the scripture, Mark chapter 8, verse 31. That verse says, this is the gospel. This is the gospel in its entirety, right here. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. That is the gospel. But the irony of that scripture is this. How can the son of God, the creator of heaven and earth, the living God, he came to this earth and he suffered pain and he allowed his very own creation to beat him, to draw blood. I was just saying to my, my team in the back as we were praying that I'm glad that I wasn't born at that time. I might have been one of the ones that hit him or spit on him or hit him on the head with a reed, a stick. But how is it, and I'm still perplexed, how is it that God himself would allow himself to have pain? Why? Um, Someone yelled at him and said, where were you when my son died? And God the Father answered, in the same place I was when my son died. You see, our God, he understands pain. We're acquainted with it, we're familiar with it, but he really understands it. And so when we cry out to him in our pain, it's not like he goes, I don't know what to say to you. He knows what pain is. Think about that. God himself, he knows what pain is. The first reason Jesus came to this earth, this was the exact reason that Jesus came to this earth. He came to suffer for us because there was no way that we could ever pay the penalty for our own sins. The giver of life was going to accept death, separation from his Father in heaven, and he was going to lay down his life for us. But 
He said, no man can take my life, but I lay down my life on my own will. He actually committed suicide. Jesus is the only one that could have a tattoo born to die because that's why he came. He came to suffer. The originator of everything, the creator and the giver of love was going to accept rejection for us so that we would receive acceptance from his Father in heaven. He was a substitute. He took our place. God could not look at us because of our sin. Jesus took the hand of God, and he took the hand of us, and he put the two together, and there was reconciliation. Come on, church. And when the devil thought that he did kill God, he did kill Jesus, and three days later, when Jesus, laying there in hell, opens his eyes and gets up, Satan knew, we've got problems now. Because the resurrection came, and heretofore, no one had ever risen from the dead. Those that had, like Elijah and those, they died again. But here was someone who would rise from the dead. And death was the only thing that Satan could use against us in fear that the wages of sin is death, so you're going to die because you're a sinner. But Jesus rose from the dead, and so death has no more power over us. Death has no more fear to put on us. Death cannot do anything to us. So Jesus said that when we die, we will pass from death to life. Death is actually a door for the Christian. Death is not an experience. Death is a door. You pass from death into life. This concept this idea of suffering for another was not new to the disciples. They understood suffering as so many of you do. They had drunk from the bitter cup of pain as so many of you have. They loved Jesus, and they didn't want him to have to suffer. So out of love for him, they wanted to prevent him from having to endure rejection, suffering, and death. And when Peter, who just said, Thou art the Christ the Son of God, and Jesus says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. Not upon Peter, but that statement, Thou art the Christ, the living Son of God. Upon that rock I'll build my church. Not even two steps later, when Jesus says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and the Pharisees are going to beat me, and I'm going to die. Peter, the same Peter, who said, Thou art the Christ, said, God forbid that you should have to die. Same Jesus turns around to this guy, just a few minutes later and says, get thee behind me, Satan. How did Satan get into Peter after he proclaimed Jesus was the Christ, the living Son of God? But the disciples, they didn't want to see Jesus have to suffer. But that's why he came for you and for I. He came to suffer. And I don't believe they actually understood what he meant when he said, I must suffer and I must die, but on three days I will rise again from the dead. So we ask this question, is suffering the ultimate failure? Now I have suffered. I have had pain in my life. Some of you, maybe all of you have suffered, and you know what pain is, but is that the ultimate failure? In our society, we feel that suffering is the ultimate failure. We feel that when a person suffers, they must have definitely done something wrong. And that's the only tool that Satan has when we are suffering with pain. 
you must have sinned. You must have done something wrong. So the more we endure the suffering and the pain, the more he beats us with that lie. Surely they're guilty of sin, otherwise they wouldn't have to endure such pain. For to us, in this culture, pleasure is the brand of success and accomplishment. Pleasure. We live for pleasure. You know our culture lives for pleasure. Just going out to eat dinner, we live for pleasure. Just going shopping, we live for pleasure. We don't even want to have pain at childbirth anymore. We just want to have the baby there in our arm. We just want pleasure. We don't want to be acquainted with pain. But talk to someone and ask them, and they'll tell you. Mm -hmm. I have suffered. I know what pain is. That's the mentality, though, of the immature. Look at the Christians. Look at the Christians who have suffered and are suffering. And I don't need to go down the list at all the types of suffering there are. Because you're already familiar with it. But what happens? What happens when a child of God suffers? What happens when a child of God cries and ask God, please take this pain away. And it doesn't go away. What is happening right there? One, they're being refined for they've been in the fire. And I'll tell you something. Once you have been, that's past tense. Once you have been in the fire, you can no longer be burned. It no longer has any power over you. You just say, I may not like what I'm going through, but you're not going to take my eternal life and my God away from me. Come on, you're not going to do that. And they're strong for the suffering has tempered them. It's made them stronger. It's done something to them. It's given them a resolve that they don't whimper, they don't whine. They're familiar with grief. And in it, they were being drawn closer to their God. And third, they're also secure because in that pain, they realize, I've not been forsaken. My God has not turned his back on me. Now, those who don't know God look at us when we suffer, and they can't understand how we can still rejoice. And here, I'll give you some facts. As much as you have suffered, as much pain as you have experienced, and yet you're still in church, you still raise your hands and you praise God, you still glorify the Lord, I think we should give him another hand of praise right there. You're still in church. And that's what confuses How in the world can you still go to church after all you've been through? And you go, ah, you don't even understand. You've been refined. You've been tempered. God used suffering to accomplish a purpose. In the midst of the fire, Jesus didn't leave you. He was in the fire with you. And suffering, when you're responsible for the hurting, intensifies the pain. But suffering and not knowing Jesus can make the discomfort even more intense. When people in the hospital say, please, please pray for me. Because they don't know Jesus. It's like there's no hope that I suffered and then I died and I went where? Suffering and knowing the love and the peace of Jesus adds new meaning to an age-old concept. And the world will shout, look at you. You're following Jesus and you're suffering. 
It doesn't even make sense. But we can say something back to the world. Yes, following Jesus does not guarantee a life without pain, but it sure guarantees a resurrection. Come on, church. And this is why Jesus rebuked the disciples for thinking like Satan. This is why Jesus was upset with them. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. And the thinking of man is all pleasure and no pain. And may I say to you, I don't mean this as a rebuke to anyone, but that's the immature Christian, the baby. The baby. That's not the mature Christian. They just say, well, I've been here before, and God was with me then, and I know he's going to be with me even now to the very end. So the thinking of man is this, all pleasure, no pain. Is that not what you see on the Internet and TV, every movie? There's all pleasure and no pain. Watch this. There's all acceptance, and there's never any rejection only the healthy and the perfect, only the beautiful and the rich, only the slender and the smart. But the things of God are coming to me. All of you that are burdened and heavy laden with suffering, and I will give you rest. What is this rest? What is it? I will receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And not everyone, I assure you, has that promise that where I am, there you may be also. He said to the thief on the cross, when the thief said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He said, verily, verily, I say unto you today. He didn't say, verily, verily, I say unto you today. He said, verily, verily, I say unto you, comma, today you will be with me in paradise. You'll be with me. He didn't have to go get baptized. He didn't have to go take six weeks of uh, learning how to be a Christian. All he said was, Lord, remember me. And Jesus says unto him, when Philip says, we don't even know where you're going. And Jesus says, Philip, have I been with you so long and you still do not know the Father? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you. Unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Give God a hand right there. That's a promise. That's a promise. Nothing can keep me from getting there. Not suffering, not pain, not loneliness, not rejection, not hostility. That where I am, there you will be. And you will see him as he is. Yes, there is a hell. How many know there is? Some of you don't even know there's a hell. You raise your hand right there and you look around. Am I the only one? How many know there's a hell? Okay. But there's also a heaven. You need to think of that. This is hell. Yeah, but there's also a heaven. There's loneliness, but how many know there's also love? Okay. And there is sin and mistakes, but there's also forgiveness. And there's also growth. In Isaiah 53... Beginning in verse 3, the Bible says about Jesus, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised 
and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. That day, that day right there, that, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, had the princes of this world known, they wouldn't have crucified the Son of God. Satan didn't know that every time he beat Jesus and blood was splattered, it was that blood that another one of us was getting saved, for we're saved by the blood of Jesus. Come on. He had no idea. And when the soldier pierced him in his side, and when they pierced his hands and his feet, they had no idea that we were getting saved by that very blood that Jesus was shedding. And so Satan was used by God to get our salvation, and Satan thought he was killing him. And he wasn't. He had no idea that three days later he would rise from the dead. No one had ever done that. Satan had no idea. That's why he said, had the princes of this world known, they would not have crucified the Son of God. And I want that emblazoned upon your memory that that was God. That wasn't just some stranger. That was God. He came to this earth as a human, and God had no body. He was totally a spirit. He took on a human form. He did not know what pain was, but he took it on for us. He did it for us so that no one can say, he doesn't even know what I'm going through. He doesn't even know what pain is. May I tell you something, church? No man has ever suffered that much like what he did, but he didn't do it for himself because the writers say it wasn't the nails that kept him on the cross. It was his love for you and for me and for you and for me. Come on, come on. That, that right there, they say as he hung there for six hours, 360 minutes, one minute for every degree of the entire earth, for God so loved the world, 360 degrees, that he gave his only son. God told Jesus way before we were ever created, way before the world began, that you are going to die and you're going to suffer for people who don't even know you, who don't even want you. And it was his chosen people, the Jews, that asked him, I adjure thee to tell us, are you the son of God? And he said, yes. And they called it blasphemy. And then when he was hanging on the cross and the earth closed its eyes and the darkness crept over the face of the earth, the centurion that was responsible for all the punishment he put on him, he said, surely this was the Son of God. In other words, we made a major mistake. How would you like to be in the Roman army and be one of them? Because the Bible says when he comes to this eastern sky to take his children home, it says that every eye shall see him. And watch this. Even those that pierced him, those very soldiers are going to say, oh, no, but not us. 
We're going to tell Satan, you think that you turned my back on God? He was with me when I was suffering. He loved me, and he's familiar with my suffering. Don't ever think your God doesn't know how much pain you feel. So much so that the Bible says in the book of Psalms that all our tears, he saves them. He saves all our tears in a little bottle. And when someone comes against us and says, we don't know what it is to be a Christian or to suffer, he pours those tears, our tears, out on them. That's how precious those little warm drops of water are. The rest of the verse, we said Mark 8.31, but Mark 8.34 through 38 says, if anyone would come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a person to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what shall a person give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels." The one that suffered for you and I said that. Do not be ashamed of me. They may say our God was weak. They may say that he doesn't know he runs from us when there's pain. Our God is not weak. And we better not just run over those words. We better think about them for a while, for those are the words of the Son of God. Those are the words of the creator of heaven and earth. Those are the words of the Savior, Jesus Christ. These words are the wisdom of the ages. And they speak of exactly what we don't like to do. So now I'm going to come over the other side. We don't like to deny ourselves. Hmm. No, we've learned to be numero uno. Look at me. <laughs> Pay attention to me. I'm the one that's important. Or I'm the only one suffering. You don't know what it is to suffer. Only I do. In everything. And that is why we suffer needlessly. It hurts to shut down selfishness. It hurts to shut down ego. It hurts to be number one. It hurts to lose your life for the gospel of Jesus. It hurts to not be important anymore because you became a Christian and you're not invited to the parties anymore. And people don't call you anymore because they start calling you things like pastor and reverend and holy one. And you notice that your relationships are changing. You don't run with that crowd anymore. Now you find yourself coming to church and you're with other Christians. People they used to make fun of. People you used to make fun of. Now you and them are in fellowship and in prayer together. But let's talk about this point. There is a resurrection. Come on, church. There is a resurrection. Think about that. You're not going to be left in the grave. And the fear when you're sick in the hospital and death is so close to you, the fear is that God will forget about you. God's busy. You have no idea of where you're going if you die. And you're about to say, is this all there was to life? And now look at me here in the hospital. And yet there's those who are in the hospital and know God and know Jesus Christ. 
and know he has not forsaken them. And they have a whole different perspective. We, like the disciples, don't realize there is a resurrection. We don't realize there's nothing in this world that equals the value of my soul. Jesus suffered and died so that my soul can be with him in eternity. God wants you with him, church. Come on, don't patty cake on that. He wants you with him. He wants you to be with him in heaven. I go and I prepare a place for you that where I am there you may be also with me. He wants you in heaven. And you're not going to sin in heaven. But what happens to the people in heaven that sin? There is no sin in heaven. You're not going to blow it and get kicked out. What happened, bro? I messed up, Holmes. <laughs> you too, yeah. You'll never, once you're there, you'll never get kicked out. This is what makes Satan and the demons so angry. They were there. And they got kicked out. And here, you and I are getting invited in to where they were at. And I told you last week or two weeks ago that don't bring us point up to me that, was well, the devil going to repent and get into heaven? Because I'll beat you with this little pencil I have right here. He's not going to repent. He's, he cannot be saved. Neither can demons. They can't change your mind. They were there. We haven't got there yet. And sometimes suffering gets us to the point where we think we're not going to make it. I'm telling you something. Have faith in Jesus Christ. Accept the fact that he died for you. Believe that he rose from the dead. And you and I are going to be there and we're going to be with him. We will be with him. And may I tell you something? I read a sermon and then I wrote one and I gave this at a funeral. You think the cancer killed this person? You think the cancer is saying right now? You see, I won and I killed this person because I said, in heaven, the Bible says there is no sickness. There is no pain. There's not even a memory. That person that you think you killed cancer, that person doesn't even have a recollection that they were ever sick. They got a brand new body. There is no pain. And they are with Jesus Christ. Don't patty cake with me tonight, church. Get this in your melon. Up there, there is no suffering. Suffering is over. And we're going there. We're going to be with Jesus. But what about now? Ask God for his grace. Give me your grace. Give me your Holy Spirit in my pain. Don't suffer alone. Don't suffer and try and be a saint. Ask God, give me your grace in this pain. The world, with its bright lights and fast music, calls to me. It wants my soul. And sad to say, some who have even heard the gospel of Jesus give their souls to the world. And Jesus says, on that day, I will be ashamed of you before my Father and the holy angels because you were ashamed of me. To those who don't believe in God, life on earth is all there is, and so it is natural for them to strive for this world's values, money, popularity, power, pleasure, and prestige. But for the Christian, however, to live means to develop eternal perspective, eternal values, and to tell others about Jesus, who alone can help us. Our whole purpose in life should be to speak out boldly for Christ and to become more like him.
Thus, the Christian can confidently say that dying would be even better than living because in death, we would be removed from worldly troubles and we would see Christ face to face. Come on. When you die, children of God, you don't pass go. You don't collect $200. This isn't monopoly. There's no purgatory where you're going to go suffer. There's no limbo where you're going to be lost throughout all eternity. You will go to be with God. And if Billy Graham said that he has been in the room when people were dying and they said to him, please pull me up higher on the bed because the demons are even grabbing my feet, pulling me down into hell. And I'm not even dead yet. And he said, and I have seen Christians dying. And they said, you don't see them? There's the two angels that came, one to guard me and protect me, and the other to carry me into the presence of God. Two angels. I've been in people's homes when the loved one is dying, and they said, you don't see them, Pastor Mike? I go, no, I'm not allowed to see them. You do. And then right as they die, you feel like wind, like the angel's wings just carried them up away into the presence of God. The child of God gets ushered into the kingdom of God. And you know, they say, I read a book on heaven, and I don't know if this is true. It was just the best description the author could give, that for miles, there are just curtains there and curtains there. And here the person is standing before they get into heaven, and all there's no time in heaven, so I can't say all day long, but all the while this is going on, and now you die, and you're standing before one of these curtains, but because God knows it's your time, and you're going to be with him, all throughout heaven, everyone and anyone that ever knew you, whether they're family or friends, anyone and everyone who ever knew you, they were called, they are being called to be at a certain place at the curtain, for that is where you're at. And what happens is that the curtain opens and you see everyone, because what would it be like to get into heaven and you don't know anyone? And we go, really, bro? <laughs> Come on, bro, really? But there's your parents, there's your cousins, there's your friends, there's your neighbors, there's people you witness to, and they're all ready to see you. And as you're hugging them and they're hugging you, right behind them, as you're hugging them, you see Jesus. And he's looking at you. And without any words ever being spoken, he says, I've got a meeting with you. You and I are going to meet when all this is finished. Because, you know, to see loved ones again, if you've lost a baby, to see that baby grown up, to see parents not old but young, and you're there, and then Jesus is waiting for all of them to hug you. That's the type of God he is. And then he's looking at you and says, I want to meet with you. I've got a lot to share with you. And not like, you know, I, I know you made it this far, but I, you can't come in because you blew it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not going to happen. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 and 3 says, Dear friends, now are we the children 
of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. No one knows what we're going to look like. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him. Why? We will see him as he is. And those who have rejected him can't see God. They will never see God. They'll see Satan, but they will never see God. But those who love him, they will see him. And the reason you're going to be like him is because you get to look on him and see him as he is. And that's why the God the Father says, enter into the joy of the Lord forever for a place prepared for you because you look just like my son. Can you imagine that? You look just like my son. In fact, when I look at you, it's hard to tell the difference between you and Jesus for you both look the same. So that's why now when we suffer, you're being refined. You're becoming like Jesus. The Holy Spirit's making that happen. And you can choose, nah, I don't want that. That's your choice. There's freedom in God. But those of you who say, not even the suffering will turn my back against you, for I love you, Lord. You put your love in me, and I'm actually loving you with your love. And when you let that suffering, because you have his grace, you let that suffering refine you and make you into what he wants you to become. When you get there, if I go before you, I'll be there ready to greet you. I'll be waiting for you. And I'll be looking at you with that same smile. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> Come on. You did it. I had my doubts about you, but <laughs> sometimes I thought, you know, I don't know. But you made it. You made it. And you'll be happy to see me. Lord, this is my pastor. He goes, I know. I gave him to you. And I'll be happy to see you. And I say, Lord, they were always here on Wednesday night. Not even a pandemic could keep them away. And they just kept coming back. And not only that. They brought their friends. They brought their friends to the same church to hear. I want to tell you this, though. You say, man, you got to go Wednesday night, man. You got to go Wednesday. You got to hear this guy. Don't tell him that. <laughs> tell him you got to go Wednesday night so you can see Jesus. Don't tell him to come look at me. Oh, man, you got to hear this guy. Tell him to see Jesus. So because I'm human and because I'm just like you, and because I have had pain. And because I realize that you have suffered and you have loneliness or something's not the way it was when you were first created on your body. Things are different. And you're acquainted with grief and sorrow. I'm asking you now, to bow your heads. Where, where is he? He's there? Start playing. Please. I'm asking you to, while we hear this song, just close your eyes. And in your own way, all you have to say is, God, give me 
your grace. Give me your Holy Spirit. Give me your Holy Spirit, God. Because I don't want your suffering to be in vain. I want you to be able to know the power of God and to know the presence of God. I want you to know no matter what you're going through, how important you are to Christ. Right now, as Stefan plays this, I'm going to ask that my team just start walking down the aisles and touch people on their shoulders, touch them in their hands, just give them a touch and let them know how much God loves them. Reach out to them. Come on. Dan, come. Stefan, sing In his arms. In his arms, I feel protected. There's no place. In his arms, never disconnected. No, no. In his arms, I feel protected. There's no place. Heavenly Father, 
Only you know what your children have gone through. They're not mine, they're yours. I'm preaching to your people. As I stretch my hands out to them, may your Holy Spirit touch them, draw them closer to you. May you heal them where they suffer and where they're acquainted with grief and with pain. And may you cause them to rejoice and draw them into your presence. Let them know the peace that Pastor was talking about. And let them know, Lord God, we are going to go to heaven together. Bless them, I pray, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Good night, church. I love you.